what any plating means. Do the electrons travel better? I think that's what it's supposed to mean. It's like a softer membrane than brass. I guess. I don't For know. For el- electrodes? Electrons. I guess. I don't know how... I don't know how things work. I don't know how it works either. I don't know how electricity works. I mean, I know you fly a kite, you get a key, you fly the kite, and then boom, light bulb from a different guy. Uh, and then... Yeah, I think that was a couple decades apart, if not more. And then... Like 90 Then years. a switch guy comes along and he's like, I, I, listen guys, you don't have to do all this. So you need a kite guy, you need a bulb guy, and you need a switch guy. Right. That's a lot of guys for electricity. It's, uh, yeah, it sounds like quite a threesome. That's too many guys. I mean, they probably that's a 900 pound. That's one of those like Casper mattress or uh Helix for for hefty sleepers. I'm not following you right now. I feel do like you, that was you, very schizophrenic. I have no idea not, what you're talking about. Do you not about. know about the like, you know, the startup uh, mattress places now having no, like, I know for what, fatties. I know what the startup is, but what's the relationship? Are you talking about Benjamin Franklin? Is that the connection? Yeah. Franklin Edison was Edison chonky? was the bulb. Was he chonky though? I don't think so. I mean, he was, you know, he might have been a portly gentleman, but yeah. that was like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't even call him portly. Would he look like one of those guys like in the old timey boxing matches with yeah, the like, like he was, barrel chest? He was fit, but with like a, with an 1890s sensibility, you know? We've talked about 70s body. Yeah. Then there's 1890s body. Mm, mm-hmm. Where you're like a little, you're more barrel shaped. Yeah. You're not as lean. No, you're just on stilts. Because mm-hmm. like, leg day was always skipped. Like Teddy Roosevelt. He became a portly gentleman later in his life. Well, he had a lot of horses to but ride. But in you know? his youth, he was like a barrel chested fitman. Oh. And he was out there with the cowboys and the Indians and going down the Amazon doing whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then. Hundred years later, his statue gets taken down. I know. R.I.P. That sucks. That's not good. <gasps> well, That's what, what's going up there? Do you know? Probably nothing, or probably a fucking statue of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or something. Who knows? What's she going to be doing? Like dabbing? You know, there's a Ruth Bader Ginsburg exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum right now. You're fucking kidding me. She donated her official portrait to the Brooklyn Brooklyn Museum upon her death. Why? So they put. Is the she o- from here? I don't know. They put the official portrait up, and next to it, they put. A vase that has her face on it with a Basquiat crown over it. From who? I don't know. Who did that? Probably cause or yeah. Is it a cause like thing or like uh, no? Or it's just a collaboration with like Uniqlo and some ceramicist. Who knows? The Brooklyn Museum is just the museum of ice cream, but with some stuff. You know, the dinner party uh, Instagram experience. Yeah, it's a really depressing place. I haven't been there in a long time because one time I went and I was like, wait, this, this fucking sucks. Yeah, this doesn't feel like a real museum. I think the last time I was there, actually, was for John Yao's little talk about Jasper Johns, which we'll get to later. Which we didn't even go in the museum. No. We went to the auditorium. Yeah, we went to the auditorium, and that was fine. You run into some friends in line. I think that was actually at the the library. I don't know. It was somewhere. somewhere downtown. That Um, was the first time I ever saw that monograph. That was when they debuted it. It was like the premiere party for that, and you got to flip through it. And I took pictures of every single page, (laughs) which I still have. Okay. (laughs) I have a pirate copy. Of Jasper Johns' catalog. In resume. JPEG form? Yeah, that I'm going to put up on LibGen oh, for okay. people to download. How are you going to get the .it or uh, .ru web address to post it on? I don't know, man. Mm. I don't know. I, I could figure that out. NordVPN? Something like that. Proud non-sponsor of this podcast? Yeah, ex- uh, ExpressVPN. That's another one. That's another podcast VPN. Jesus. Fu- how you... many fucking VPNs? There's Listen, a lot, man. Just, wa- just f- uh, do you really need to watch, like, you know, Drag race from the UK side? No. 
Well, you know, it is helpful to have the other countries Netflix because they just have different shows. Like I used a VPN to watch that Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix long before it came out in the United States. Oh. Because they got it first and it only aired on ESPN here. Huh. Why did it don't that's weird. Because okay. they don't have necessarily oh, ESPN right. in other countries. Right, right, right. So right, right, they right, just right, right. throw it on Netflix like a normal. Mm. And then you you just go click, switch to British, boom, we're watching it. Same same way I watched the Adam Curtis documentary. Oh, can't get you out of my head because it was just on BBC's website for a long time, and that's free for British citizens, but it requires a subscription for to BBC foreigners. One or BBC Three, BBC Four, BBC but Seven. Then you get VPN, and you're in. Oh, you're a British citizen now. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you see that uh, chart that was like number one downloads on the App Store in Russia, February 2022 versus March 2022? No. The first one, the February one, you know, it's the typical things. It's Instagram, it's Twitter, it's Signal, it's Telegram. Right. It's all this shit. And then March 2022, all of them, VPNs. <laughs> Every I'm single sure. one. Yeah, because they're, you know, if you're in the blocked zone, you have to be like, mm, I need my internet treats, please. Like, I, I need to be able to watch things. Well, I think I mentioned it really briefly one time when I was still living in Ohio. I had a VPN and I still got a cease and desist notice for torrenting yeah, I something. I don't know how you, de- how you got that one. Which is incredible, which means that the VPNs don't necessarily work. Or that, like, you know, your ISP or the government or whoever can get through them, which is obvious. I mean, think about it. The NSA is not getting fooled by that. Right. But, if, but even if your ISP is like, hey, don't download the big short idiot, and you're like, what? I know I had it on. Right. You're in <clears throat> trouble. So I'm I'm just waiting for the day when they outlaw that. That'll quietly happen, I think. Or you'll just get more like soft blocks like that. Where it's like, yeah. oh, you got the letter and then oh, it seems like you used our VPN to download something illegally. How dare you? And it's like that's the whole point. The whole point is to not know where I am. Well, I know, but as, you know, as the powers that be consolidate control and try to rewrite the internet, they're not going to let this keep happening. I, don't I know. mean, it's just because we have old people in charge, right? That they like don't really realize what that means. That's true. You know, I've tried to explain a VPN, like even to my dad, who's like a programmer at a bank, and he's like, "I guess I get it." He's disinterested. He's yeah. like, "I don't understand how this affects Why anything about the world." Who it cares? Doesn't matter. And so, yeah. even if you kind of know about it, you won't do it, right? But as soon as like you know, authoritarian Zoomers get get to be in charge, oh boy, then we're in deep shit. They know about the VPN, they and they're going to take it away. Yeah. Well. I mean, are any of the Zoomers, you know, authoritarian? I don't know. Do they lean that way? They like rules, though, so it could it could go away when they get older. Yeah, who know? Who knows? Every everything everything goes downhill as you age, as we both know. Your Listen. belly, your political ideologies—they just—it's <sighs> okay. a horseshoe theory. Listen, I did a lot of activities for betterment today. Yeah, you rode the bus. No, for no, no. Some before that, no, no, no. Before that. I did the passport thing. You did? Made the appointment. Hell yeah, dude. Did, uh, got a doctor's appointment for next week. Wow, wow. Went on ZocDoc. Because I was like, I don't know how to do this. What, I've heard I've heard an ad. That's some neoliberal <laughs> app that yeah. just gets you a doctor's appointment? Well, it like, you put in like what kind of insurance you have. And then they're like, these people take them. And you can be like, I want this. That's such a funny idea for an app because every insurance company's website already has this. Do you know how bad Blue Cross Blue Shield's uh, internal site is for searching? Don't get me wrong. I'm not defending the insurance company websites. They are terrible. Yeah. ZocDoc's like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I don't know. To one that's like friendly with the gays. And they're like, we got one. 
I'm like, great. It's just so funny that these big legacy companies, they're so far behind the times that they just haven't even thought to do that. Like, all you need to do is make a fucking app for people's phones, and they'll use your goddamn service. Right. And now they're just working around you. Making money. Selling their data yeah. to some unscrupulous, like, VC. Yeah, do I have any idea you know? who I gave my yeah. insurance information to? No. Exactly. No, not at all. And then, after that... Okay, so here's the thing. If you're trying to do a passport, let me tell you what kind of system is broken. The Postal Service. Fuck the Postal Service. Just their website. It is a absolute nightmare because it's a basically a global scheduler, which every idiot in the world is trying to tippy-tap-tap in at the same time, and it's like crashing all the time. So... Um, yeah, famously, Obamacare is always this way, too. <sighs> Anytime there's insurance enrollment, or like, for example, I haven't done my taxes yet, and the due date is a week from today, and I'm like, that's not good. That's actually going to be a problem. You should do that, me. like, yesterday. I know, but whatever. Who cares? I'm going to owe money, so I'm not, like, eager oh. to get it done. That's why I'm putting it off. If it crashes, it crashes. I don't care. I mean, TurboTax gets more expensive the closer to tax. Yeah, no, I know. I realized that way too late. Because I, I, I don't know why I did that this year. I mean... I, I just said it. It's because yeah. I owe money. But regardless, I'm always pretty good about doing my taxes. I usually do it in around February sometime. I and this my... year, I just totally blew it off. As soon as I get an inkling that like, ooh, W-2s are in the air, I'm like, let's get those receipts out. Let's start adding up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to see how expensive TurboTax is because I might do the thing where you basically go all the way through the process and then you just fill in the forms by hand yourself and mail them in. What? It's like 40 bucks. Yeah, I know, but I uh, did you hear the part where I owe money already? Yeah, but what's 40 minutes? So if it gets more expensive, I don't. There's the federal one that's free. Well, free to file. I still have I my, yeah. my because our world is horrible. I just have complicated taxes again. I just always do. I lived in two states. Right. I worked at three different places. Right. It's like just a nightmare for me. So I can't use the normal one because I don't just have a W-2 to upload. Right. God, am I looking forward to that next year. That'll be the first year, I think, in my life where I can just be like, oh, I just have one tax form, get mm. to use the free version. We're one and done here. This takes five minutes. Right. Instead of literally all day. Yeah. That's why I've been avoiding it. Two days. Know? Anyway. I want to talk about your day, though, because okay. it sounds like you were productive. Oh, yeah. I want well, to hear about the Postal Service. Here's the, the thing. The Postal Service passport thing took an hour and a half just to get a, get the scheduling right because it the toggling was terrible. What did you have to schedule? I don't remember this You have process. to submit it and sign it in front of someone. Oh, I see. In person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plus, I was like, oh, for 15 bucks, they do the pictures for you? Great. Oh, that's a pretty good deal. I think the last time I did it, I paid like $7 at a CVS or something. I literally was like, I don't know where to get photos, like printed. Right. So That's the hardest part because you can take them yourself. The criteria for the passport photo is actually really easy. I've done it for my dad. Yeah. You can just take them on your phone. Like, it's fine. Right. But but you have to figure out how to get them printed on the right paper because they're very particular about the gloss and the weight and the size. Okay. That's why people charge for this. Because yeah. if you fuck it up by even like a couple of millimeters or whatever, your your process gets started over. That's absolutely terrible because it's it's almost a month out from the appointment to just go there for 15 minutes. Jesus Christ, are you serious? Yeah. And then it takes like 11 weeks from there. And the only one that I could get in a normal, like, you know, where the scheduler didn't fuck up was Grand Central, the one on Lexington wow. and 42nd. Because this fucking post office over here can't no, get their no, shit no, together. No, 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 no. 
and yeah. their appointment times are only like 8.30 to 3 p.m. That's so they're not typical all days. for passport things. I'm surprised you found anything outside of that range. Well, 42nd Street is like, they have one day where they're like 9 to 8 o'clock. Let's get them all done. Ooh, that's going to be a hellscape that day. I am going in the morning. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, but I was like, okay, fine. I'll schedule for like 11 so I can just like gradually get there and then fuck, I'm in Midtown. I'll do something else. Like, fine. Well, you know, we should just announce it here. That means we're going to do Green and Lewis, France. I hope. We, we, ha ha. Yeah. Um, That'll be really fun, dude. But we got to get those tickets so that you got to get this passport thing. I know. I know you got the show on the road and I'm proud of you for that. But right. once you have that appointment, you might have to pay to expedite it, honestly. I know. Because with like, the, well, the COVID situations and shit and people doing it, I know it's a different form, but I just, someone at my work just did it. Right. And it's worth it to do. Also, remember, Phil just did it and for their trip like, to Italy. Quickly, and they turned it around pretty fast. But I think it is worth doing because otherwise, I think the last time I renewed mine, it took nine weeks. And the renewal process is much Easier, simpler yeah. than actually just getting it yeah so if you want to go in august like we got to buy the plane tickets now so uh, it might end up being green lewis costa rica (laughs) you're gonna have to make it work but i mean you still need a passport to go to costa rica i know so i don't care where we go yeah we were just looking at tickets and france is shockingly cheap in august well they're gonna you know elect a dictator so who the fuck knows oh damn yeah the french elections huh i'm excited about that i hope le pen wins honestly no they're they're both bad i mean they're both terrible people i mean yeah i know it's different than american politics so people always think about it as like oh macron is like biden it's like not really no he's dumb but anyway it, there that's an issue we should talk about that on the after show that's a different, we have a main topic that's here. yeah that's a yeah. horse of a different color yeah and then third thing that i did online while i was just crushing yeah joined a gym no way you can join a gym online yeah. you didn't have to go and sign oh, up fuck no oh that's great yeah that I, takes all the pressure off ever going because you've already done the satisfying part, which is no, I reached no. the gap I joined, and now well, it'll just leech ten dollars a month for me. Netflix no, it's style. gonna do. It's gonna leech twenty three dollars for me. Ooh, why? That's um, expensive. Because if you want to go anywhere to any of yes. them in the city, and I did Planet Fitness instead because their yearly fee was a lot less, like a lot yeah, that's less right. um, than Blink. Blink was like, we're gonna fuck you with sixty dollars randomly. I'm like, no, 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 you will not. You will not be doing that. I'm so sorry. Um, this one's got like $33. Quick, give me, give me, give me. Um, so now are you a black card member? At yes, I am. Yeah, that's awesome. That means I can go for free. Correct. Hell yes. Because the, the cheapo ones, you can't bring people. You can only go to yep. your shitty one. And the Blinks were all using the same photos of the interiors of their gyms. So I don't know what any of them look like. That's a bad sign. You don't want that. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, at least I know what I'm in for, you know. I'll tell you what, too. I mean, I, you don't ever really have cause to go to Manhattan these days because you work and work and live in the outer boroughs. Yeah. You'll have to check out the Queens ones, which I'm sure you already did. They're uh, around and they have parking. But I'll tell you what, Manhattan Planet Fitnesses are nice. Brooklyn oh. ones are, you know, the one over by, by Woodhull. Eh. Uh, but it's not that busy. Apparently, it's a not busy one. Interesting. That's so good. So I to was know. like, oh, good. Well, that depends what time and stuff. It's always going to be. It was three in the afternoon, and I was like, you know what? That's not terrible. It's always going to be busy after work, though. That's I know. But your work schedule is weird. You're going to be able to get around it enough. I know. Especially because you work late in the day sometimes. So you're. I could go at 10. And going no to there. the gym before work for you is a different proposition than for me, where like that means I'm getting up at five in the morning. Well, that's the thing. I could also do that. Sure, but what I'm saying... I will not be doing that. I know you understand what I'm saying, but yeah. what I'm saying is like on your late start days, great. You go to the gym 
mid-morning that's not bad yeah and then on your like weird days or like well normal days more normal days for a regular person you go after work that's not that bad i know you only have to put up with the crowds every once in a while the nine to fivers were fucked yeah that's why you know saved a little bit because like by the time i would get there it'd be like seven and no one's there well here's the other dirty secret that i think is going to work to your advantage right now is because new york is a psychotic dystopia people are afraid of new covid so they're not going and if you're not afraid you get to go oh yeah and all the freaks are not there which is the best part being out in both atlantic terminal and uh alby square whatever the fuck that's called um people were doing the thing again of like no mask I know. And I'm like, you all can fuck off. I don't care. I got the eyes a bunch today on the subway, and it was the first well, time. I'm supposed to wear it on the subway. I don't give a fuck. But it was the first time in a while where I noticed that the compliance had gone up, and I was getting the looks again of like, don't you know that the New York Times said there's a new problem? I You can take your New York Times and shove it up yeah, your complete uh, asshole. Oh, yeah. I do not care. I don't give a shit. I saw a double masker today. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's, it's coming back again. And I'm like. I don't care. We're not going to let this happen. You know what happens? I just get to stay home from work. I know. I don't give a fuck. Well, I don't want that either. I don't want that. I don't want any of this shit. I get paid, so I don't care. I don't want any of this shit. I know. Sorry, Leo. We're breaking the rule, but God damn it, you motherfuckers I... are really pissing me off. I'm gonna detonate the fucking vest okay. if they bring back any serious restrictions. In Minecraft. Because you know why too? The federal mask mandate on public transportation is supposed to expire a week from today. And I'm like, you know what? Get ready, bitch. No. They're going to let it expire on a federal level. The Biden no. administration's under a lot of pressure from airlines and stuff. I right. My prediction is they're going to let it go, but New York City's not going to let oh, it no. go. Oh, no. No. And that's some dog shit. Well, the trains don't work. Yeah, they don't work at all. I got stuck behind a train on the bridge today on the way home. Ugh. Nothing worse than getting stuck on your way home on the bridge. You're just seriously fucked. You can't get off. You're just stuck there. 20 Last minutes. Last Monday, during rush hour in the morning, trains would take an hour to go one station from Queens to Manhattan. And I'm like, you guys, get your shit together. They're like, we don't know how to use the buttons. I'm like, switch guy. What the fuck, man? I know, I know. This is why we got to go to Japan. They apologize when their train is one minute late. Well, they make a public apology. We are so sorry. This happens once a decade, and we feel ashamed for our ancestors that we did this to you. That's the kind of... You know what? If we're going to go the dystopian direction, that's the kind I want to I mean, I did get a free bus ride down because the Omni didn't work on the bus. Or my phone was like, no, fuck you. You have a mask on. I don't know how to do this. And then the guy's like, just come on. I'm like, okay, sorry. That's great. Save that 275 so I could pay for a, a car home. What a time to uh, debut Omni, huh? When it doesn't work for anyone because you need your fucking face to unlock your fucking phone. Uh-huh. No, you can't have that. Uh-huh. Anyway, have you seen the videos while we're on the topic? Well, let's just go back to the gym thing real quick. Sure. Because, you know, you were like, well, the closer one, you'll go more often. I was like, well, there is a bus that goes from right outside of our door to there. So in the cold time, don't even have to do anything. Yeah, that is true. It goes right up Lewis and it drops you off right at the door. Right outside. Yeah. 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 I was like, you know what? Great. And, I'm, ha- and I'm telling you, man, I really feel like the move is to go near your workplace there's one in ridgewood too. that's always the best way or on your drive home or right. whatever yeah. you're, you're, you have a little more flexibility because of the car mm-hmm. to really figure that figure, figure out, out which ones are good and yeah figure out the process i i wish you well i hope this goes well i hope you do it i'll go tomorrow for the first time yeah. what what is your plan here your fitness goals are you trying to go like three days a week you're trying to go five days a week what are you trying to do are you trying to cut right now are you really going to get serious for? A i want to do like three to start, uh-huh. see how I feel, and if I feel 
better generally. Yeah. Then we'll just go another day. Here's the thing. Can I give you some advice? Don't go five days a week. Because no. I, I would not do that anyway. Uh, well, I am. I my advice to you would be. Uh, people are going to give me notes about this, but I don't care. I honestly think for the first two or three weeks, you should go more than more often. You should go five days a week for like three weeks. Just to get in the habit of going. Just to get in the habit of right. going, but also just to get the torture over with. Because right. the worst part of working out in any form is the first couple of weeks. Like It doesn't feel good, but then you feel the spiritual gain. You're not going to feel the good. physical right. gain. You're not going to get that much stronger or like, but you know, you'll be more alert and stuff. You'll notice right. it. it'll be better. But the first couple weeks suck. So get yourself into the habit. Be militant about it. Maybe stop drinking for a couple weeks and <sighs> just like focus on working out five days a week. Because if you do the three days a week thing, my fear is this, that you will, you will do it probably. Mm-hmm. But when there's two days off between gym days. Right. It's too easy to say, well, on the third day, eh, I don't really. When you just have to do it every day. I was thinking like two days on, one day off, one day on, two days off, two days on. Is that bad? My, okay, what I'm getting at actually is just rearrange that a little bit. Never take two days off. Okay. Do two on, one off, two on, one off, two on, one off. If that, that doesn't sync up to a week because yeah. it's the incorrect amount of numbers, but right. don't think about it in terms of your week. Never right. take two days off. Two on, one off, two on, one off. All, constantly. We'll see if, if you take, we'll see if the life schedule uh, uh, allows this. Dude, right I'm now. just telling you right now because when, uh, you know, this is less true of me. Some of us weren't fun employed while we were getting fit. No, I understand. But like, I, you know, like I rode, ride my bike to work and like I ride laps in the park on the weekend when the weather, right. weather permitting, I've been pretty good about doing this for years and years. Right. And I'll tell you what, whenever you take 48 hours off, that's when the downhill slide just happens. And it was especially true in going to the gym because there's more effort involved in that. Like right. it's more seamless to just ride your bike to work or do laps at the park in the morning. It's right. easier. But when I was going to the gym with my dad, like, if we dropped it for two or three, especially three days, but even two days, it was really easy to say, like, eh, whatever. I don't want to go. Yeah. And you, then that turns into, like, 14 days way faster Mm-mm. than you could possibly imagine. If I'm paying for something, I never want to not get what I'm paying for. So that's a big incentivizer of just even putting in my bank account information. All right. Well, well. Good luck. Like seriously, good luck. I, I hope. I hope it works out. And I'm totally gonna draft off of it because you and all of my other friends, I pay for everyone's media lives. That's Apparently, true. I'm that guy. <laughs> so if I can get like a free occasional, you know, workout uh, out of it, that's what I'm gonna. I just do. have logins. I never use the credentials. You know, a little different. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I did all the things, and then I didn't eat all day except for dinner. Wow, this is a new will. This is very productive and very healthy. I'm happy it's for It's weird. You. That's great. Does it feel good? I scheduled an email to send at 8 a.m. And by the time I woke up, like everyone was like, we love it. I'm like, great. Wow. It's got to feel good, right? It feels good to do things. Yeah. I, I checked off a lot of boxes, which is always a good thing. That's great. That always feels mm. good. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's psychic or physical, you know, I don't know. That's a good use of a day off. You got another one coming and now you can like chill tomorrow if you want to chill or well, like gonna chill. do some stuff. I can do other things. It was yeah, this exactly. was about getting all uh, all the pain pain points out of the way. That's what I'm saying. Chilling doesn't mean doing nothing, but it right. means doing what you want. It's, Correct. You, you you do the unalienated stuff. Right. Even though I still have to go make my return at Unicorn. But 
Well, listen, that's the life path that you've chosen. I, I, that's and my that's cross to of, bear. That's part of your enjoyment also, is multiple retail interactions. I don't want to have to go to Manhattan to do this. What's the deal with this? Can you, you can't return this? it at a different location what? if you just want a refund. And they're like, that's insane. They're like, yeah, it's been our policy for two years, really sheepishly. And I knew uh, I could, pu- I could have pulled. You could have Karen on them. I could have been like, can you just listen? I work retail. I can, can you just do an accommodation? Because I know you fuckers can absolutely do that. You know they're capable of it. You should have pulled that card. Like, I wanted to be like, I'm literally in everything, head to toe from this place. Can you? I return nothing. This is why I don't know that this is a policy. That's the boomer logic of like, I am a lifelong customer. I literally come in and drop 150 bucks several times a year. You know, I know how to ring myself. You normally don't have to deal with me. Please give me $40 back. Also, you don't have the things to do in exchange. So why is that my problem? Yeah, that's a really whack policy for such a large company that makes no sense it it's just to disincentivize the customer from ever doing it again oh and you bet your ass i'm gonna walk in there and also send an email saying hey this policy is kind of really not great if you're not offering the same assortment in all your locations so i can't take the exchange money please you know we'll see we'll see how we'll see how bitchy i wake up tomorrow wow um but you know i gotta i figured this the plan is get up, shower quickly, walk while listening to a conference call, and then do my my runnies. Wow, you're like a fucking hedge I'm fund a boss manager bitch. with yeah. a tech vest on. You're <laughs> listening to a conference call. On I mean, your morning otherwise walk? it's I, I, every every Tuesday morning. Wow. But, um, you know, got to do something cool. That makes you feel like high power. You can also just you know? be, I'd rather be doing anything else than listening to it. So I'm like, please, someone distract me from something. Um, I had a really like sincere conversation with my uncle um, back when I was living in Ohio. Cause he's like kind of a weird guy. Like he works for NASA. He and his children are legitimate geniuses. Like on the IQ test level. Right. They're like Benza geniuses. Yeah. But they're, like, pretty humble people that, like, kind of hide that. Because I think living in the Midwest, they've kind of learned that that's sort of alienating to other people. Well, yeah. But I'm, like, I'm kind of a genius, too. But I'm also, like, a fucking idiot. You know? But I, so I always You're like, to, I want to show you. I always yeah. want to talk to him about his life. And he's like, whatever. My job is so boring. Blah, blah, blah. But I had a really earnest conversation with him where he was talking about being able, during COVID, to walk and talk on his conference calls was, like, one of the biggest, it's like, the greatest fucking joy. improvement in, in his day. He's yeah. like, I love like walking the dogs and I just take my meetings and it's like so much better than going to a strip mall style building and just and sitting, sitting there. there with a bunch of assholes. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. You know, fluorescent lit room. Yeah. All not saying anything, getting the information delivered to you boringly. No, I know. Like, no, let me do anything else. Yeah, I, I, I'm not expressing it well, but it was just, it's hard to re-articulate, but he just had this like, profound sincerity of like it's just so much better and like i was like kind of sad about like because it was all kind of ending at that point especially in ohio and it was just like pathetic that he was gonna have to resubmit to the old order i mean this is why people are mad about going back to work they're like i don't want to sit and listen to you talk i have other things to do well and you know what i've also learned is from the perspective of somebody that doesn't have the option to not go back to work i also like it when people like you not you the royal you Mm -hmm. are not there Oh, yeah. It's much better. Hey, accounting people, never show up again. 
fine by me, except for the guy that brings bagels. Keep doing that. However, <laughs> the rest of you, we don't need you. You just bring an awkward vibe because you're a bunch of fucking desk jockeys. And we have to be here. So we want to be able to be like crass and talk to each other in the way we do and not be in an office environment at right. the same time that we're doing our blue collar job. It sucks for us, too. If we have to show up, that's fine. I never. But I want to talk know. to Bob about guns, you know? I shouldn't have said that. Oops. Cut that out. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> it's generic enough. No one knows. Yeah. I mean, that name is not nothing specific. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I get it. You want to like work somewhere else than you live, but like, I don't know. Nah, most people don't though. Once, once con- the outside condition, like the, the sheer is deleterious. De- the the badness of outside yeah. is so high that it's like you really want to like commute two hours on a broken system, and then sit with your flickering light bulb in a poorly air conditioned like no no one wants to do that no i know yeah i don't want to do that and i have to deal with the people yeah there's also downsides to being like isolated in your home i do think it makes people weird in a different way i don't think it's all upside But they were always weird exactly and i don't want to be exposed to them they were always weird and here's the thing just like i think people are like i got to let my freak flag fly and i'm like yes embrace it be a weirdo but you don't need to you know wear a cardigan and do this. Just be weird. Just be weird at home. Let people know that you're weird. Transmit that to people instead of looking normal. I don't. I kind of feel like if you're gonna be a weirdo, do it in the privacy of your own home. My problem is the the rest of us normals. We don't. You know. We don't really want you around well, and your weirdness because you bring a weird vibe because you have weird requirements for your life. Right. Like a tremendous amount of privacy and like introspection that doesn't gel well with society. So those of us that have to be external. Right. I I don't necessarily like it, but I have to be. Yeah. You know what? I want to be around a bunch of people that are like having a little fun with being out there. Not the people that are like, it's a little it's a little dangerous that you're this close to me. Okay, you just be at home. How about that? Okay, then you go home or why don't you take a step back? Or just yeah, why don't you just not be here? That's well, that's my thing. Anyway, all right. Should we get to our main the topic? Task at we're hand? about ha- we're about half oh, hour fuck. in, and we've and we've talked about errands and complained about COVID. We've done all the bad things <laughs> that we're not supposed to do, but it's the most fun part. It's the I mean, I didn't really talk to people all day, so I'm like, I got I gotta you know tell someone that I did all the things. Yeah, of course. You know, I talk I talked to people today, but oh, oh boy, after show after show material. material. Yeah. Um. All right. So it's that very special time of year. Yeah. Every that very special time every two years, in this case three. It's the semi-annual Whitney Biennial liquidation sale, <laughs> live from Filene's basement. Seventy-five percent off everything on the lot. Drive away in a new Tesla. <sighs> yeah, well, it's got to be you know an electric car because God, mm. climate change. Yeah, I mean, folks, we're talking about the Whitney Biennial. We saw it a week ago. I remember nothing. And have I remember a lot of it, but we've had a lot of... Off, well, we had like one night of off-mic con- conversing about it. Right. And I feel like I got a lot out of my system. I feel a lot cooler about it than I did because I won't speak for you, but I think you will agree when I say, this show is a fucking catastrophe. Um, Like that was my attitude coming out of it was like, what the fuck was that? 
My th- well, I wouldn't call it a catastrophe because that would involve a sense of danger or excitement. This is the sanded edges biennial. This is the, you know, goop, gooped and gagged um, architecture, the squish architecture of, you know, a, a biennial. There's no frisson. There, you know, a car crash has hard angles and, you know, a fire maybe. This has nothing. Sure. I, I think you're right. But where, uh, what I mean to say is that it's the new definition of catastrophe. Everything gets worse, but nothing changes. Right. I feel like that could have been the title of the Whitney Biennial. Yeah. It would be more accurate than whatever the fuck quiet as it's kept is. And it's and apparently we- that's a thing that I don't know anything about. I don't know. I mean, like, I've heard that phrase before. Mm. I don't know where it comes from or whatever. And I don't care. It's I'm not a- looking it up. They didn't spend enough curatorial effort on the show for me to bother considering their notions about whatever they were doing no no no, not notions hunches right a series of hunches we just we'll get to the hunches we'll get to the hunches um i mean if there was a fucking hunchback in that show that'd be at least something but here's the thing like i don't really know how to structure this episode conversationally Mm -hmm. because what i don't think would be valuable is just complaining about how bad it was right and I don't even think it's really worth going through like different describing pieces things. that you remember. No. It's like just go see it. I guess you'll get the vibe. I think. Well, it's it's your civic duty as art person, or even you know tangentially like curious person to go see the thing that happens you know once every two years that's supposed to give you a little snapshot of Americana, right? Like, right. and then our job is to hate it. Well, no, 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 no. Our job is not to hate it. Our job is to. Go see it because you're an artist and a person. But what you just described, you're supposed to get a little snapshot of Americana. You're supposed to get a vibe of what's going on in the art world in general, which this is part of why I don't know how to structure this, which you do get. But I left and I think you left, too, based on our subsequent conversations, feeling like I'm not even sure that I'm a part of the art world anymore. Like, I legitimately don't feel like this show is representative of anything familiar to me, of anything that I relate to. Uh, I don't think that it has... Or anyone that I know. Even an attitude that I like. And yeah, nobody that I interact with would look at this and be like, this is great. I see this, I feel this too. Nothing. I'm like, whoa. I was outside of the museum very quickly. I said, oh no, I have to go. It was an incredibly alienating experience. Right. Would you agree? Like, yeah. That's the only way I can describe it where I was like, I had a lot of different impressions of different works, different vibes I was getting from different parts of it or whatever. But overall, I just felt like disturbed. Like, yeah, I, this is alienating and I don't know what to make of this. You know, in a way that like. In a way that seemed profoundly different from other experiences I've had with similarly. uh grandiose shows right whether they be other whitney biennials or greater new york or this felt very much triennials this felt very much greater new york to me like i I was like ooh, i couldn't tell you the difference between these styles of show but this style of show is a thing right like right the vibe show let's give you the vibes of a particular like region or category at once that's the kind of show it's supposed to be this wasn't I, I don't, you know, I don't, is this the vibe, you know, change thing happening that was written about? Is Because I don't, 
I don't even know what the vibe was. I, I just was like, huh? Like, I, I don't like feeling, conf- I mean, you know, I get it. Like, you walk in and you're like, okay, we're th- there's no walls. Okay, everything's on sticks. Okay, 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 I can, fine, it looks like spring break, but like, you know, at least spring break was thoughtful and collected into chunks. This, you get, I saw one sight line where I was like, okay, I get it, this is the sight line, but holy fuck, do I feel crazy right now. Like, it's unsettling in the, like, I, I know that this is supposed to be, like, you know, art's supposed to be challenging, but I'm like, confounding isn't the same as being challenged. Being confounded is not the same as being challenged. No. Or dumbstruck or whatever, you know? You're like right. I felt stupid outside and, like, just off, off, off radar. I think know? there's a lot to be said about, like theoretical or conceptual or um emotional conflation like i think that's the problem with the whitney biennial and with a lot of contemporary art in general is that categories just get collapsed and it's confusing right i think that art intelligentsia and artists themselves can't are not very articulate about definitions they don't like it. They would rather everything be fluid, which is okay if you approach that in a deliberate manner. Right. But when you're not in control of a deluge, well, you can't be in control of a deluge. And that's right. what a show like this feels like is just a cascade of whatever. <sighs> and I think we're all supposed to imagine that that's an acceptable thing. That the world feels a little chaotic, so nobody's really in control, and everything is soft. You can't make uh... definitive statements about anything anymore. But what that leads to is psychosis. I mean, it's a schizophrenic feeling show. But at least, like you know, I can you know I can at least say this. You know, being being around someone a little crazy makes you feel a certain kind of energy and you know you'd learn how to like adapt to the world but when everything's just like i'm a like it's this you know the meme of the girl going i love her she's so crazy walking down with the like bag of like popcorn on her head yeah it's that level of like isn't this so nice that everything soft borders and of uh mediums and uh ideas just you know we let them all kind of inter interweave with each other and i'm like is that what you think is happening right now Ever, you you hung paintings on coat racks. These are do- these are like entry fixtures. I, well, I think before we go any further, it, it, a lot of people listening will probably not have seen it yet. So it's worth delineating oh, yeah. two things, which is the show is divided into two floors, more or less. Oh, right. Uh, one of the floors looks like an art fair where they didn't build any walls and they built these sort of... Um, coat I racks. I don't know, like two by four frameworks. They look like art fair booths and they have things hung on them but they're not solid drywall walls they're like see-through it's a little hard to describe but it's like an open for- floor plan of booths with yeah. a bunch of shit hung all over that's floor five the f- first yeah. floor and then floor six is all black and mostly videos and installation work and carpeted which i didn't notice i didn't know until i was either. told it yeah really? it was carpeted what gross oh okay because i think about it like that many fucking videos playing but anyway a lot of the 
conversation, subsequent conversation about the show revolved around this dichotomy of basically like an open floor plan of kind of just you know whatever floating everywhere and then the darkness. So right. you had one really light filled floor where you could see from end to end and then one floor that was very closed off and literally black. Yeah. Um so when we're talking about the appearance and the vibe of the show, the term schizophrenia, I'm not using to be like dramatic or yeah. controversial. It's supposed to be like that, I think. It, well, it's supposed I think it's intended to be like, you know, there's the interiority and then there's the exteriority. And the external world is a lot of things coming at you fast. And then the in, in inside, it's very emo. There's a lot of heavy like, you know, handed, on the inside. Heavy-handed grandiosity is the way I would describe it. Like the metaphors are like too are too over the top and also misdirected. Like no one was in control of this. It was just like we have a broad stroke idea and we're going to execute it in a way that an undergrad would. It's bludgeoning a baby seal or horse, you know, like the whatever the thing, but by committee. So no one really is going to be like just give me the fucking baseball bat. That's a really good way of putting it, yeah. You know, it's just like, well, which kind of baseball bat should we get? Well, I'll use an aluminum one. You can get a wood one. And then I think it would really make sense if someone had a croquet mallet just for representation. Yes. So this is back to the core idea that I think is my frustration with the show that maybe we share, which is just, look, somebody needs to decide. I'm really sorry to inform everybody that like hierarchy is an integral part of society that just will never go away. And it's okay to say that some things are better than other things or some things belong on a certain type of wall and some things belong on a floating little stick thing but you can't do everything by committee according to not offending anyone this was like the uber camel yeah we've made an uber camel yes i mean all all group shows are camels to begin with. like i'm not saying like oh this is this but you know like you know People are like, well, the, what's a good one? I'm like, it's still a camel. Like, it's still like going to be a little uh, at some points. But I've never seen a camel with a bigger hump, a longer neck, stupider hair, like, like a tongue for day. Like, what is like? I don't know what I'm looking at. We've made you know a monstrosity here, um, because there is no, you know, one choosing factor. And I yeah. guess like if it's two curators, like yeah, I guess they are like that. You're supposed to be like, eh, I don't know. Eh, I don't know. You know, but it's but there's always multiple curators and whether it's curation or um studio artistic collaboration or making a Hollywood movie, uh there's supposed to be synergy between collaborators. Right. And they're supposed to come up with something that's more than the sum of its parts, which is absolutely not what you have here. No. I mean the You well, only have parts. Oh, it's a And and I think that literally with some of the pieces, it's of just course. parts. And I think that it's supposed to transmit to the viewer that you're supposed to celebrate this. That the absolute shattering of any authority or any synergy or any collective quality in an artistic community or an output, no, that's not valuable. It's only individuals doing yeah. their own thing constantly, which I think is a broader problem. Um, and to me explains the alienation of the show right. for me. 
Yeah. Because I think I think fundamentally one of the things that I believe at the end of the day is that material matters and what you share with your fellow humans is what you're trying to transmit through your art. Right. That's why it's visual art. That's why it's made in a material form. It's not merely conceptual. You're trying to express something that we share together through a singular object. Or it can be an experience, you know, whatever. Whatever. It can be a video installation. It can be whatever it is. But the point is that, like, it has to be of some quality in its handling. So that there's an entree for someone outside of it and the maker. Exactly. Which I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Like, I was rereading um, Shelley's review before because I was like, let me just, let me just brush up here. Um, there's a couple things from that that I was like, oh, I forgot that he's, you know, dry and smart because then I, I had to pull something from a book. But um, like talking about, you know, that there's a sculpture in there that looks like a shrouded uh, duvet cover person with some shit on the ground. Boy, I don't really even remember that, but continue. It was up on five. Um, and like clearly the referent is Joseph Boys in the in the felt, the felt thing. Yeah, that like felt tent. Well, the body. Yeah, that's felt. what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I know that that's a referent. No one, like, he's describing that piece and, like, not even a mention of Joseph Boyce. I'm like, what? Why are we not even just saying, like, hey, that's kind of rippy offy of all, all the people who do that shrouded figure shit? This germ, like, oh, we're, she's an indigenous person from Canada. I'm like, okay, but what does it say that, like, using the vernacular of, like, German who maybe be a little, you know, you know. Well, I like, think what are we doing? I, I think not not remembering this piece, but just in the description you gave, I think what a defender of that work or this show might say is that it's a little colonialist colonialist of you to think about the white German man as the reference point for this when actually it's referencing like indigenous culture and he was ripping that off the entire time. Well, sure. But like we're not going to even bring it up at all that like the most famous example in the canon is that one. Yeah. I mean, the, the lack of any guidance. Right. Is one of the hardest things about viewing contemporary art right now in general, because you're never supposed to acknowledge canon. I mean, the person making it, the people who make the things have the greatest knowledge of the canon because we're not living in the postmodern world where it's just like, you know, not everybody went to Gallatin, you know? Do you get that joke? I hope you do. Gallatin is the course of study at NYU where you just make up your own major. Oh, okay. Well, and you can just yeah. study whatever I mean, and you've got a that degree. That feels like what every artist is doing right now. Which is a bad thing. Yeah. Because, you know, we were talking about Buckshot the other day. like, Well, yeah, it's Homer Simpson's makeup gun. Right. That's what all the work feels like. It's just like, yeah, you well, this is the thing about like the Joseph Boys reference, right? Like, even if you are to understand that there is a canonical reference there or any reference of any kind, who cares? You should never be pointing me in the direction of like your references. Like it should be there as an element of the work, but overemphasis on that is also a bad thing. You should be drawing me in through like a sensuous experience of my vision. Right. And or, if you're not yeah. doing that, then you're not making anything of quality that's worth regarding as art in the first place. Well, can I just say like the thing that it was that was the least art like in the whole thing, the bottles hanging from ceiling with rock shaking. 
Right. Matthew, uh, Michael E. Smith, rather. Greatest fucking thing. I was like, this is it. This is the this is the whole show, quite frankly. This is a sculpture of uh, two plastic soda bottles. Will has like a Hal's Seltzer bottle on the table. It it's looks, a Poland Spring water bottle. Yeah. And it has a rock inside and a simple like motorized fan on the top. And then they're suspended from the ceiling by rope in a string, the middle even, yeah. of a doorway. On the right-hand side of a doorway that you would normally like take the turn into so they're 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 obstructing a means of egress and they're pointless objects making a lot of noise irritating noise and we talked about this after the show because honestly it was my favorite piece in the show in retrospect because it kind of sums up everybody's work you're in the way you're making annoying pointless noise and you put in very little effort and an artist being like self-aware about that and doing that deliberately is a much more radical and impressive aesthetic gesture than the ones that are doing that to make a point and doing the same thing, achieving the same result right. accidentally. Or with a lot of intent and a lot of money. Whatever. It's not yeah. a question of intent or money. It's that you, you know... Michael E. Smith was exercising a lot of self-awareness about the state of the art world right now. Yeah. Chatterboxes. Like, Chatterbins. We're just, we're just doing nothing but shouting into the void and not trying very hard. Yeah. Or like the idea that like here is effort and what does it amount to? Just this, again, the annoying thing mm-hmm. in the way. Like That's you know, a more generous interpretation. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's a lot more critical of greater art world and not just the world because everything that you know when you read every review or whatever it's just like yeah you know it's about how art can really talk about things going on in the world i'm like okay so it's talking about like are we having are we going to have to do like subject form content problems with reviewers who are in their like late 90s or 80s or whatever like no i i don't think that where was i going with this one i i don't think that like pointing out things and going that's great that i was pointed out to details is necessarily like artful well i think we should do subject form content for a second because it is worth bearing out that this is like 101 shit that apparently nobody pays attention to anymore we all done forgot we don't have fundamentals anymore um because if you were paying attention to subject form and content you would have a subject that took a form and equaled content. Correct. But what you have now is subject matter equals content. That's insane. And subject matter is different than subject, by the way. If people people don't know that. Well. I mean, subject matter is just what you're representing or what your message is intended to be. Your subject is is actually like a deeper and broader point not a point, actually. Yeah. Your subject is a deeper and broader, mostly like emotional thing or something sort of inarticulate that you're trying to get at through the form that your art takes. Well, and the... Subject matter is just the picture. Cezanne's apples are not about the still life. That's always been the clearest illustration right. to me from Painter's Painting. Cannonballs, like, baby. They're, they're, they're about something other than the apples in the picture. But for some reason now... The content can't be, like you said, the subject matter. You can't just point at a thing and be like, it's bad. Or, ah, that happens. Or I'm this and that's the content of the work. 
Because that's what a lot of the identity politics art basically revolves around. Is In that show. They, they present it in most contemporary art. They present it as this is my point of view, but it's not a point of view. What you're saying is I am this. I am the subject of my own work because I'm a narcissist. That's and that's valid content. None of the none of those things follow from the other. Like, that's not how it works. I mean, I think like it wasn't like actually actively playing uh, when we were on the floor, but I think that's what the Alex DeCourt thing is about: is kind of making fun of the narcissism. Because yeah, he himself wasn't is like a little fuckboy, so like yeah, he. Can... It wasn't actively playing when I was up there, so I didn't see it. In yeah. all fairness, but every reviewer seemed to emphasize it as a highlight. Right. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't see it, uh, but whatever. Listen, if your video is stopping playing and it says the end, I'm just going to go, great. A part of the problem is it's just like it's a video in the middle of a floor where there's light leaking in from two giant windows and it's surrounded by an art fair's worth of other stuff. Like, it's not presented in a way that you can pay attention to it. Yeah. It just seems like another thing making noise in the middle of a bunch of things making noise. And it's sad that there's good artwork that gets lost in this mix. Like, I pointed out about some paintings that I don't even particularly like, but I noticed about them when I saw them on the dumb art fair style walls that I was like, you know, these paintings would probably not be bad if they were just hung 60 inches to center on a white wall. No, not Matt Connors. They were these other ones. It's not important what they Mm. were, but just to say that like, if these were just presented like they were intended to be presented, which is as paintings with some dignity and not just shoved in between two other videos on a weird angle. I can see behind them. I can see the back of one of them. Like, Oh, the white, the white ones. It the felt, squeegees? yeah, it yeah. felt like disrespectful to the artists that they were presented in this manner. Well, we talked about that like later of just like, well, you were decorations for our for our choices. Yeah, and that's you know, your paintings end up as justification for like someone else's idea. Yeah, that's not great. You can't be make a thing and be like, well, th- we're going to include this in one of our, our decisions about you know, our statements about the world. And it's like, well, now we're mixing the messages here. Well, and unfortunately, that's how all of the work interacted with the curation. That's how all of the work interacted with each other. It almost all felt anonymous. Like, I felt like all of that work could have been made by basically anybody. Even iconic names like Jason Rhodes get lost in the mix because you're just confused. Right. Because nobody's making choices here. Well, they are making choices, but oof. Well, I feel like the oof. choice being made is that we don't want to be imperial by having an opinion. And that's not what a show like this is about. Well, again... It's not did, what making art is about. They didn't want to have a Dana moment. You know, said not. this before. They're like, terrified of that Emmett Till painting. That's going to loom over the Whitney Biennial for a decade. Or whoever does it next go, will have to be like, listen, last one was confusing to the point of bad. Like, can we tighten the ship a little bit here? You know, like, because I think it was less people than even the last one. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell you how I many people. I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Um, but like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I was thinking back to the last one that was at the, the Breuer building. Like, the reason why that worked is because it was three separate shows. Three curators. They each got a floor. You get an idea. And yeah. there are three separate ideas. Again, you need an HBIC to be like, this one, this one, this one, this one, put them there. We're done. Right. Oh, it doesn't work with your guys? It's great. You're on your own floor. I don't give a fuck. Right. 
I made a show. You made a show. We all the, these are our proposals for what's going on in the world right now. Right. Instead, and it's delivered as such. This is our proposal for you know the state of affairs and you know contemporary creative working minds. Here you go, and you're like, great, love that. Like the impulse to be anti encyclopedic result in this. Right. There needs to be a skeleton to the body. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that impulse, you put it well, to be anti-encyclopedic means that you don't have a coherent book in front of you. Like, what would an encyclopedia be if it wasn't arranged alphabetically, you know? Like, being arranged alphabetically doesn't mean that the things that are in the Z category are less valuable than the things in the A category. Angola is not more valuable as a country than Zimbabwe because they come after each other in the book. Like, just having structure to a thing is there so that we can appreciate things collectively. That's why. It's just to give people an entry point so that we're all on the same page at least initially. And then you can select your own entry to read and read it the way that you choose. And in the order that you choose. But there's nothing fucking wrong with structuring things. But I honestly think that like that something's you know something's going on broadly psychically politically the artistically it's the dark psychic forces that are telling a lot of people that hey you should just not really think well you should just do whatever you want it's the end point of individualism. I feel like I've been kind of circling back to that right. conversationally this whole time. Is like when you're completely atomized as a person, when like every economic incentive is aligned to keep you alone, and then every subsequent incent- incentive politically or theoretically is also telling you to be a narcissist. Right. And then the flow of information on top of that is such a torrent. Individualized and And it's individualized and you can't keep up with it. When all of that's happening, all that ends up resulting is a hall of mirrors where everyone is arguing with each other from individual viewpoints that have nothing to do with a societal imperative. And you end up with this kind of violent clash. Whether it's Twitter discourse or artistic discourse or whatever, it's pretty virtual at this point. We've seen, like, stochastic elements of it that are physical. When you see, you know, the protests from the summer of 2020, when you see things around the world starting to happen, the dark psychic forces, you're like, okay, this, like, violent psychic clash of individuals is manifesting sometimes. But even when it doesn't, even when it's purely virtual... What ends up happening is the violence of the clash is mistaken for dynamism. It's mistaken for progress. But that's not what it is. Everybody's standing in the same place, shouting at each other through a megaphone, when you could be marching in lockstep together, if you agreed upon anything. It's anti-community and anti-utopian. Like, and I guess, I I know that the like... It's not, here's the thing. It is utopian in its own way, which is what I hate about it. But no, but that's, but that, you know, that's utopia for yourself is not the whole point of that. The whole point is that together you build something collectively great that everyone gets to enjoy. The Catholicity aspect of utopia is that everyone, you know, lives get better together. You don't get to be like, 
which you know what ended up happening is like well my life got better yours is the same like that was modernist utopia the the end result there because ego gets in the way now and narcissism gets in the way this is just we've done this before but you can't like also have like sad times and be like i'm just rowing my boat around you know potter's field and isn't that sad well yeah it is get out of the boat mary what are you doing do something if you're that upset like go like make flower arrangements for the the people there and actually interact instead of do something that just shows off you doing a thing well there's nothing wrong with to me with art having like an activist angle to it or pointing out flaws in society like having a political point i don't think there's anything wrong with that per se um i don't think that people should abandon making art to go do something like more important i always feel like that's a lazy criticism because you could say that of any person in any job or whatever but like ultimately you've ended up here as an artist and and being an artist is a very individual pursuit that's why that's why it's interesting selfish then you know Uh, you you know but then that's just the self-flagellating like privilege conversation none of that is valuable Mm. like it's okay the whole problem that we're having is not like a problem of modernity necessarily i mean if you extend the definition of modernity back to like um the 14th century yeah maybe Mm. you know with the protestant reformation and the dissolution of the catholic church and you start to say okay when you have this enlightenment value that there's an individual relationship with god rather than a collective one through the church that's the original like schism it goes way beyond aesthetics or whatever this has been going on for 500 years you know but when people's idea of utopia is only defined by individuality like everyone has ironically collectively lost sight of ever being collectivist which is weird because there's so it's many narcissism in the reinforcing show. <laughs> narcissism and it's not it's not tenable no and so the alienation of the show overall is like wow not only do i feel like individually personally alienated by this show it just feels like th- this is going this has gone off the rails so far that it's not recoverable. That's what worries me. Well, like, isn't the, I mean, you know, and this is, I think it's, oh, you can, you know, recoverability has different scales, right? Like, you know, can you, maybe sometimes you just got to like burn the whole thing down and get some ash to like, you know, figure something else out or you can scrap it and get some parts or something. You know, I, I don't know, you know, the ghost can't be fully given up on, um, but like i i always thought like part of it of a show of that scale is to invite people and they get to see something about the world you know like they get to see a little glimmer of themselves in the work you know like and they're like oh it's not so different like art isn't different or uh, you know like this way of living isn't so different like i see you know I get to have access to a part of the world or another person's mind that I would not normally in my everyday. This just throws it back and you're just like, I'm a, I am in the way of all the things happening, which circle it doubles I, the alienation process. I think part of, I think the majority of that condition comes from, um, the artistic and just general 
narcissism. I think that the people that will feel comfortable with this show are a super small minority that have a really loud voice societally. Fair. And they will continue to feel comfortable with going down this road of everything is transhuman. It's post-human. It's only individual. It's not collective. It's ironic because it's supposed to be global. Like we're including artists that don't live in the United States anymore. Right. But somehow they're American. Sure. As if that like premise is supposed to make sense to a regular person. Or even make sense now. I mean, or even just make sense at all. Like you're just supposed to accept that. Right. That national boundaries don't exist. Not, I mean, you know, like, I mean, it, it's, it's, you can have a separate conversation about whether you think that's right or wrong. That's a political conversation. I don't really care. Yeah. But you are supposed to accept the premise that that's off limits. That's alienating. Like, can you imagine? We talked a little bit about how the, all the labels were in Spanish too, right? And it's like, I can't the only that. Spanish speakers that are going to see that show are also speak perfect English. I can't imagine the woman that cleans the floors where I work going to the Whitney Biennial and being able to identify with any of it no. at all. So what you were saying about like art and a show like this specifically that I always understood it to be an invitation in this way, a broad right. invitation yeah. to yeah. the public and to other artists and culture makers to say like, here's what we're up to come see. I, I can't imagine that somebody that voted for Trump or somebody that cleans floors and doesn't speak English or, you know, that's all very stereotypical, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I can't imagine regular people like relating to this even at all. Whereas even one biennial ago with the Dana Schutz Emmett Till controversy, that Emmett Till painting has a universality to it. Right. You don't need to know that Dana Schutz is white to like get the painting. On a visceral right. painterly level yeah. or on a subject matter level, uh, it will communicate to you. Uh, there's nothing in this show like that, it, it, with with maybe some minor exceptions. I think Charles Ray shines, but that's outside and separate from all the other riffraff. And he's that's a, not even in the in the show. He it's also like ironically feels like tokenism. It feels like we got to throw in something that like is good. Well, that's why it's also funny that it's like a white guy sitting on the beer boxes. Yeah, that's very funny. Like I think you're he's outside very in the self-aware rain. about what you're outside in the rain. Sorry, he's participating in and what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it that inclusion is weird just because the timing of having the Met show up at the same time. I'm like more. Why aren't these uptown? What are they doing down here? Did you guys deliver to the wrong place? Who got who got lost on the West Side Highway? Well, and who knows? We haven't even gotten into like. And there's no reason to, but gotten into the obvious uh, nepotism and like market manipulation that is also an element of these shows big time. Which is not going to happen on this one. You you brought up the idea of like, usually this is like a kingmaker. And I, yeah. I, we're going to maybe have some princes that sh- show at like local, you know, the niche only people that come but... out looking good are already kings and the other people, I mean. Yeah, I'm sure they'll, you know, you know what? No, they'll, I take it back. They'll get who marketed out of this because it's not like collectors have taste or care. They just listen to what the art advisors say and the art advisors go to the Whitney Biennial and they soak it up. Not because they really believe in any particular project, right? but because they're leeches that want to make money. 10% of the time. So like, it'll be, it'll be fine. Like everyone will be fine, but 
I don't know. The angle of talking about the money of it with this one to me just even seems so beside the point. Like I made the uh, offhand remark to you, where were the art stars in this? Why didn't we have like some young hot market darlings? And uh, ironically, Jerry Saltz also made this point in his review, which was like, isn't success in the market supposed to be what we're doing here? And he well, really no, gives away supposed, the aren't game. Aren't you supposed to reward success in the market yeah, yeah. is the line. And he goes, you know, you know, talking about the figurative thing, he's like, you know, as much as like these people, these very good people have unfortunately invited a lot of the riffraff of bad painting in, um, you know, where are people of color, queer people that are achieving at a very high level and they're just not in it. Right. Like you're supposed to reward people who do that with, you know, a big splash at museum show and you're like yeah but most of these people have also had museum shows so like my guy I, I think we're fine um but they should be part of the conversation about why that's in the in the now it's just yeah. fully outside of it right like i don't i don't necessarily think guy taking photos in not, not a rival prometheus makeup like what like shitty Matthew Barney. Well, apparently that guy was in the 1993 biennial too, and it was supposed to be like a callback to that. Whatever. And uh, what it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it, it, maybe we're going long, but maybe we can talk for a minute before the after show about the Jasper Johns essay that Manhattan Art Review Sean Total wrote. Ooh. Um. Ooh. Because in talking about the Whitney Biennial after we were done with it, it's really crazy coming off Jasper Johns's like triumph double retrospective that then you have this and you know I I don't I don't know how you can go from looking at like a 90 something year old man that is one of the rare examples in art history ever that's making some of the best work of his life in his late career that is like profound and impactful and strange and American and then go to the Whitney Biennial and be like, where is that? The contrast to me was just so high of like a level of quality that is, you know, a once in a century talent. This is why. And then you put it up against this stuff and you're like, woof. I can't look at this right now. This is why there, there's a line in, I think, the fourth paragraph of, of that review um, where he talks about like the late work being about humanity by removing John's own sense of who he is as a human. Yes. And that's what opens up the door to... Was it... It was some... It was... I think it was Transcendence. Like, I, you know, it was, it was a big sweeping like Vista word that I was like, you know what? You're not wrong. Well... What he says, and paraphrasing without looking at it, is why it's interesting and why it is so affecting is that it isn't transcendence. The idea in Sean's essay was Your that... close personal friend, Sean. Not, people... No I don't want like refu- <laughs> referring to him as Manhattan Art Review. That's yeah. weird. He's like a person, and he's a really good writer. Yeah. I've like really come to respect him over time. It's amazing that he does this shit for free. Yeah. Um, because he's a way better art critic than anybody it else. It tells you a lot right about the state of like yeah. paid criticism in the world, but anyway. Yeah, so the idea in his, his John's review is that whenever you get into too much subjectivity, you've gone down the path we've been discussing this whole time of subject matter equals content. 
And that's just self-expression. That's not art. Yeah. That's just like shouting. That's nothing. We have plate paintings up at the Brandt Foundation for that. Your interiority is not like a valid justification uh, for aesthetic consideration. Right. And on the other hand, and this was the point that really got through to me, was that whenever you go the other way and you start to say things are universal or things are transcendent, you're falling into the same illusion kind of. Right. It's you're, When you fall into the trap of objectivity, what you're also appealing to is an other that's right. out there somewhere that sets the standard for everything. That's also an illusion. You're also just being self-expressive but doing it through this aestheticized neutrality. That doesn't work either. What's amazing about Jasper Johns is that he has internalized a, a self-negation. Right. I have discovered freedom by being disciplined. I don't try to express myself through my thoughts or through my images. I try to express myself through material because at the end of the day, art is about making. Right. So it always comes back to the work. It's not transcendent. It's not expressive. It's I made a thing. And the only way to interact with it is visually and sensually. Well, to be present with it. And be present. And all that, that the point of that work is that when you're engaging with it, it's telling the only thing it's telling you is that you are there looking at it. And you should be aware of yourself in the world. And that's the part where I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, that's that is the magic of John's is like you are alive, you are a person. It's a little more complicated than that though because it's the complex interaction between a viewer and a unique thing. Right. So the repetition in his work is always ironic because you're not looking at a flag, you're looking at a painting of a flag, right? And the interplay is between what is the difference between a painting of a flag and a real flag and why am I experiencing that? So it's not about you. Yeah. Like the conversation about presentness and being aware of yourself is a contemporary like narcissistic lens on that kind of work. But it's it's a complex interplay between different modes of representation and materiality and how that interacts with a viewer. It's with you. Yeah. It's not because of you. Yeah. And I think a lot of the work like in the Whitney Biennial is like because I'm me, this is valid. And because you're you... You have to suffer it. Or you have to suffer it. But what Jasper Johns is saying is like, I'm not saying anything. You're just with a painting of a flag. How do you feel about that? Right. Well. How do you look at that, rather? Not how do you feel about it. What does it mean to look at it? And it's a simple question. Mm -hmm. Like, this is hard to talk about on a podcast. It doesn't translate well in conversational form. And one of the things that, you know, Sean says in that essay is like, one of the problems with being an art critic is that we're, we always want to just describe this work to death, but you can't describe art. You just have to go and be in front of it. And so I think it was very timely of him. And uh, I would assume deliberate to not drop a critics corner this week, not talk about the Whitney biennial. Let's talk about something that's actually good. Well, and I think I think the feeling uh, uh, amongst me and you, and I, I would say I'd maybe share it with the Manhattan Art Review guy, is like, let's not gratify the psychic vomit of a bunch of narcissists. There is good art, but it's dying, and it's sad. 
Like I got oh, emotional yeah. at that essay. I would yeah. I would really encourage our lis- our listeners to read it. Even if you don't care about Jasper Johns, I think he really articulated something about how to get out of the current condition that we're in in a way. It was kind of like a I don't want to say it was like a a a, a self, but it was a, a way of describing the viewing of those shows and thinking about that in a way that like I do you have a like a screenshot by any chance? Because there's the end there like when I when you were like did you read this I was like yes I had chills at the last paragraph and I I kind of can't remember but it is the, just this kind of thing of like the rarity of this is so high that anyone can achieve that level of like self awareness about the work. Let me. Yeah, you want to find it? Let me see. Hold on. Uh, like Aquinas's conception of God, our experience of art in its greatest moments, a revela- revelation of the knowledge of what we cannot know, an apprehen- apprehension of the outline that which is beyond what we conceive, the sublime not as trite Edenic paradise, but as the absolute. Uh, the art of Jasper Johns is sublime, nearly, again, in spite of itself, a uh, vision conveyed not through its emotional force or sensuality of expression, but by its very being. Uh, it's nigh incomprehensible immensity as a body of work, a piety not shown in the content of its image images but by the reverence for art at its root in its making like ooh, like yeah that's what that that's what that shit does yeah yeah that's the sublime thing because you are you know when you're but it's but it's important to not confuse sublimity with transcendence you're not getting away from the world that you're in like you by refocusing you on what you're looking at and how it's made that's all you're really doing like the beauty of it is that it's a really simple thing at the end of the day. It's this arbitrary desire to want to make something. Right. But the question of how you make something and how you uh, communicate with another person through what you've made is deeply simple and almost impossible. Right. And it takes one person in a hundred years to like really get it. You know, it's worth bearing out sort of that in that essay, too, like he runs down three other artists and right. that are very iconic. Donald Judd, Andy Warhol and Dustin and, uh, and Duchamp. Oh, yeah. He mentions Gustin a little offhand, but mm-hmm. um, that like, look, there's elements of all of that work. That's great. And of course it endures. But like, let's be honest, here are some of the flaws in it that don't apply right. to somebody like Jasper Johns. And here's the way that he pretty consciously figured this out and without portraying him as heroic one of the things that was really touching to me about it was this idea of sacrifice that like through a lot of restraint and through a lot of discipline uh he achieved the dream which is unalienated labor oh right right right. there is that yeah that's the dream of art right that you do something that you love in your life but the only way to do that in a profound completely idiosyncratic unique way which is what every artist ostensibly strives for is to be disciplined about it not expressive about it right this is hard work to be free yeah the he's describing like a craftsman like a like a workhorse which you know given the amount of output is accurate yeah and you know, it, 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 yeah. I was reflecting because I read it a second time on the train home today because I just like I wanted to talk about it on here and I wanted to like really internalize it because I I was I was hit like a ton of bricks. It was amazing when you said you got chills because you don't say that a lot. It's no. one thing if like Alan <laughs> says that to me or I say that to you, but yeah. like that was interesting because I really felt it too. Like 
and then I read it again and I was like, damn, it, it was a sad sort of morbid thought. Right. But I was like, man, when Jasper Johns finally goes one of these days, which is not long, like that's a darker world, you know? Well, something is really lost in a way that will be hard to recover because he doesn't have a school of artists. You can't copy him. Yeah. I mean, it'll just be a less ac- less accurately portrayed version of the world. That's right. Because no one even in the generation after or the people who are still alive were ever that rigorous. No. And now we're looking at people who some, you know, Whitney had a lot of dead people. Did, right. What was, and the evidence of that is like, you know, you have tragedy in certain cases and then you just have like old people who just pushing, pushing some shit around. And I'm like, okay, you're not, not, a, uh, not every artist is good. And in fact, in fact, most aren't, and that's okay, but you can't come off the best ever Yeah, and d- deliver, and deliver yeah. this. I mean, where was Slice in this show? I mean, honestly, like if you're talking about work was... made in the last couple of years, like it's it it's sickening to me in a way that we're not we're not acknowledging what's good right now. And the people in th- this is the this is the where I get into the conversation about like decadent elites is like the people in charge have no idea what's good, right? And it's not really worth listening to them anymore. And it's it's kind of one of these moments where you go to the Whitney Biennial and you're like, maybe I just won't go to them anymore. Like honestly, I I I'm kind of have have the spell broken of even the obligation because like. This is not art. This isn't for me. Well, this is why I don't... This is why when people... It's like, oh, should I go? It's like, yeah, you have to go. The reason why is because the that uncomfortability after the obligatory thing, you know, you... It, it should kind of at least make you, like, sit in a point of view from a, a better position. You know, all you're doing is just fortifying your position. Um in a perfect world, it breaks down your position. You get to move on, but in a in a period of culture that we're in right now, maybe we need to fortify a little bit. I I just we well, we need critics back is the main problem. I think we need I think we need critics fans. back, and you know what, we've got some, but they're yeah. they're all flying under the radar. You know, I would I would say that Adam Lehrer on Safety Propaganda and uh, Manhattan Art Review, Sean Total, like home run hitters, like they're great. And they don't get the shine that they deserve. They should be writing in the New York Times. If it, if it was truly like a legitimate publication and not some like garbage rag, yeah. they would have people like that and they don't. Well, it's because they do that, that judging thing, which, you know, is so bad to do these days. Exactly. But that's the that's the point of them. And we need them, you know, because artists can't do this part. There's not a lot right. of great yeah. artist critics. There's some. Um. Fairfield Porter wasn't bad. Even Judd was pretty good. Like, he, but Judd was bitchy. That's yeah, why well, it was good. So was, <laughs> Fair, so was Fairfield Porter. Yeah, of course. You you got to be like that. Um, but you know, it's it's a lot of sycophants. It's a lot of the same old shit that we've always talked about. But yeah, I I would advocate like when I'm saying like don't go to the Whitney Biennial anymore. It's along the lines of like I'm tired of letting these people live in my head rent free. That's the kind of like psychic freedom that i'm interested in is like i'm no longer even going to regard this stuff as like a thing i need to view or talk about i've been on that train for a long time we've talked right. about this yeah. on the podcast a lot like contemporary art is like kind of not worth really looking at anymore and like that's fine actually i think i'd probably make better art if i just didn't worry about it at all mm. 
because I don't need them. Like that, that there. If the point, you know, if the point of art at the end of the day is to is to translate, um, as best you can, some ethic of be, being a maker. You don't need to look at anything else. You really don't. I think you, you need do. to focus on what you're doing. That's it. No, that's that's how you end up with wine cave paintings. You know. No, no, no. I I think I I see what you're saying, but I mean, I'm talking from the position of somebody that's also engaged in other elements of life that has other interests and right. understands at least tries to understand the world on a macro level um philosophically and politically as much as they can i'm not saying be a hermit but i'm saying i don't think that whatever passes for contemporary art these days even is art anymore and so it, why why pay attention to bouguereau in the academy if you're monet you're not doing that that's not what you're doing so well, who cares? It's because you want to be able to go out in the world and see if there's anyone else to help you hold down the fort. Which is, again, why we need the critics. I'll I'll read these people that I think have a good eye, and I'll let them tell me. No. Oh. Well, <laughs> you also have to read, you know, see things that when they don't get covered, it's, a you know, you know an omission. Well, I think you have to verify your information. Right. This is the same thing you have to do whether you're reading the news or looking at art. Right. You find trusted voices and then you verify. That's how you do it. Mm. But spending so much time like broad stroking what's going on, other people should be doing that. That's what critics are for. That's what art historians are for. Yeah, but they're not doing their jobs. Some of them are, though. I is know, what I'm saying. I know. They're starting the, to. The most available to are not doing their jobs. They're starting the problem, to form, yeah. but the but the but the popular ones, fuck them. Yeah, they're outdated. They're they're not worth their. They're not worth their salaries anymore. No, I haven't been for many years, either. Hmm. On that note. <laughs> All right. <laughs>